I um, tried to find where this statement came from. I heard it growing up. I don't know where I first heard it either. Um, I think it was probably from either one of my great uncles or maybe my mamma, my, my great grandmother, somebody along the way at some point introduced me to this saying, you may not have heard it if you're not from, you know, Podunkville, Alabama, but y'all from Ellerslie may have heard it. It's, it's this, you can put a tuxedo on a mule, but when you get done, you've still got a mule. Y'all ever heard that statement before? Maybe not. My, listen, my family says that all the time. I don't know why. It, it, it's just something, whenever you're trying to make your house look good, you know, you mess with other people or something like that. You can put a tuxedo on a mule, but in the end, you still got a mule. The, the reason is, the reason that saying is so popular, I guess, in North Alabama. And I tried to find out where it came from. Of course, with that sort of stuff, it was probably first said by somebody's great, great, great grandmother. And he passed it down just like I just passed it down to y'all. And now, when you're making fun of me or something else in the future, you're going to say something like, you know, you can put a tuxedo on a mule, or you'll say you can put a suit on a preacher and he's still a mule. I don't know. But anyways, so the reason is because looks can be deceiving, right? You, you, can, you can polish things up as much as you want, but the fact of the matter is that no matter how much you polish things, you've still got what you began with. You've still got what you started with. Whether it's something that gets better with polishing, like a diamond, or something that doesn't. Psalm 73 is like that. First off, okay, it's hot up here. So, you can put a suit jacket on a preacher, but you still got a hot suit jacket. Anyway, so, Psalm 73 is that. It, it, is, it is a man named Asaph who is a singer. Second uh, Chronicles tells us that he, his job, his profession was, he was the song leader at, at the temple. And so, Asaph is a is a ministry leader, as it were, but at the same time, he has a problem. And his problem is that he looks out at the world and he sees the world the way the world looks to many of us, but at the end of the psalm, we'll see the actual realistic view of the world that he gets. So, let's read a couple verses of Psalm 73. Verse number one, truly God is good to Israel. Your translations say truly only God is good to Israel. Only God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts follow with follies, overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. You see, Asaph has a, has a problem. He looks out at the world and he starts questioning, is what I'm doing worth it? Now remember that Asaph is a leader in the temple, he's the song leader, as it were. He's in charge, or one of the men that is in charge, of the musical worship of the Jews at the temple of God in Jerusalem. And he starts looking out. What I've, first, what we need to realize is, what we're going to talk about this morning is not 
just a problem for the new Christian that has recently become a Christian, they've recently been baptized, and now they're in this process of, um, I kind of call it, kind of deprogramming their minds from the worldly ways to the ways of, of Christ. This is not something that is only for new faith believers. Asaph has grown up in the Jewish religion, of course, like any other Jew would. He's a, he's a Levite, and so he's, he's grown up in this. He's grown up in learning the scriptures. He's grown up in learning the ways of God. Now he's an older man, maybe middle age. We don't know how old he was when he wrote this. But maybe he's a middle-aged man that's leading in worship, and he's, he's supposed to be the one that's got it all together. And he's still having the same thoughts as the person who is a new Christian who looks out and says, is what I'm doing worth it? So let's read the rest of this. Verse number 9. They set their mouths against the heavens, their tongues strut through the earth. Therefore his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands with innocence. Now that that statement, verse 13, in in most translations, especially in the English standard, which is what I have here, it reads just like a statement, right? I've done this in vain. But in the original, it's a question. He's questioning have I washed my hands and in, in, in become pure for nothing? Have I done everything that I've done? Has my entire life led up to the point now where I finally realize that following God is worthless, the people of the world have it better than we do, and now I've done all of this in vain. My whole life, I've wasted all of this time. Have, have I washed my hands in innocence for nothing? Verse 14. For all day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak this, I would have betrayed the generation of your people. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. So let's go back to verse number one. He starts off with this this problem that he, he knows only God is good to Israel. Now that's looking back from, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. He's looking back to this time in his life where he started questioning his faith. He started asking, have I I wasted my time being a follower of God? And he's looking back at that now and he says, only God is good to Israel. Jesus said it like this, the rain falls on the just and on the unjust. But the people of God are special. Only God is good to Israel. From now, he, looking back, he realizes, James 1.17, that every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights and where there's no variableness, no shadow of turning. He's not going to take it back. He's not going to change his mind. He, he gives us everything that is good. If you look out at the world and you see things that are good, you see a hurricane comes and people surround that city to the point that you remember what happened in Houston, right? We had so many people taking their boats to Houston that they had to say, please stop trying to help. We have too many people trying to help. When a tragedy strikes in Florida or something, and you see all these good things that are happening, like, like we talked about in Bible class, that what we studied with Dan Winkler this morning, that 
What Mary was doing was good. We have time to do good to people, to the world. We, we have time to take care of them. When we look out, we see people taking care of the sick. And you see big companies and, and people that you know have lived ungodly lives. They're not Christians. They're, they, don't, they don't even profess a belief in God. And yet they're doing all these good things. And you look out and you say, well, they're doing good. Well, yes, they are. How did they learn to do that? From God. How do we learn that we should take care of the people that are hurting? How do we learn that when a tragedy strikes, we take our boats and we go to Houston, or we, take, we send food and water to South Florida, or we send money to people that overseas because a tsunami hits or something else hits, or we take care of people because they live in a country where there's just no clean drinking water, or there's no clean food that they can eat. Well, we learn that because God has instilled in us a need for taking care of one another. But what Asaph says in verse 1 is only God is good to Israel. He understands that every good thing comes from God, James 1.17. But he looks back and he sees that the people of God are often the ones that, that are forgotten in that. And so he says this, only God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And so then he goes into this rambling. Now this, this, this tirade, as it were, verses 4 through 12, it's a person who's upset. Have y'all ever been upset to the point that you say things that just don't make sense? A few weeks ago, I'm going to give you a little insight into our household, okay? Becca, it's not in here, so she can't kill me. Um, but I'm going to need your backup, guys, when we get done. Anyways, so um, a few weeks ago, I upset Becca because I was being me. And uh, sometimes I'm not the most intelligent human being. I like to think I am, though. Anyways, so she was mad and she said something. And I said, you know that that doesn't make any sense at all, what you just said. Do you know that that made her even madder than she was when she began? Okay. Sometimes we get mad and we say things that don't make sense. They, they contradict themselves. And it's because we're angry. Okay, And at this point, Asaph is angry at God. Verse 4. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. See, there's the contradiction. How can they be well-fed and sleek at the same time? Verse 5. They are not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Well, I thought we're talking about the rest of mankind, Asaph. Well, yeah, we are, but he's upset, and he's contradicting himself sometimes. And that's okay, because we're looking into the mind of a person who is upset because he looks out at the world, and he sees everything is perfect out there, and nothing is perfect in here, and I'm hungry. And, I don't, and Now, realize Asaph's position again. It's not just somebody that's on the corner begging for food. Asaph is a ministry leader in the temple, which means... He's well taken care of. God has established in the laws of the Old Testament how they're supposed to take care of their priests. So he's well taken care of, but he, he doesn't see this at this point because he's not in his right mind. Therefore, their pride is like their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Lawfully, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongues strut 
through the earth. They say whatever they want to say. You look out and, and you see people who have what seem like perfect lives. They have all the money. They have all the, the things. They, they, they look perfect and, and yet you, you know them and they're, they're, not, they're not good to other people. They, they, they speak oppression. They, they like the fact that they have stuff and other people don't. Their tongues strut throughout the earth. They, they speak ways that, that are not godly. Maybe, maybe they, have you ever met the person who seems like it has it all, all together and then you get to know them and they can't say a sentence without cursing? You know those kind of people? I, I like those kind of people. Here's why I like those kind of people. Because I usually get to know them and I try not to tell them what I do for a living until about halfway through. And they've thoroughly uh, shown me their vocabulary. And then I go, hey, what do you do? And they tell me, and I go, oh, cool, I'm a preacher. <laughs> you ever notice vocabulary changes when you're around a preacher? I don't know why. But anyways, you, you know these people that they seem like they, they have it all together. And that's what Asaph is doing. They, they, they speak ungodly ways. They live in ungodly places. They don't take care of other people. And yet it looks like they are. And Asaph is upset with this because it looks like they're taking care of more than the people of God. Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. And so he moves into this, this section, verse 13 through 15, 14, where he asks this question. And, and I want to read it to you in the Christian Standard Bible. Did I purify my heart and wash my hands in innocent for nothing? For I'm afflicted all day long and punished every morning. Now here's the question. What's the cause of Asaph's doubt, if you will? You know, sometimes we, as, as Christians trying to help each other, which is good, which is something that we've talked about, that, that as Christians we need to help each other in our times of doubt. Sometimes we treat the symptoms rather than the actual sickness. And so we look at Asaph, and many of us would say, well, he's got a problem with understanding that that they have problems. There's, there's a statement from, um, from Elvis Presley. Someone was, was interviewing him and he said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. I'm one of the most depressed men that you'll ever meet. He had everything. He had fame, fortune. He had, he, he had a giant house. Pink Cadillacs, as if someone would ever want to drive a pink Cadillac. Anyways, he had all this stuff, and yet he says, I, I'm, I'm not a happy person. Why am I not a happy person? Because I have all this stuff, but I don't, I don't have people that really care about me. So you have to look at the cause for the sadness. Okay. In, in fact, I want to give you a, a, an illustration here. Um, recently, I've been reading a book about Abraham Lincoln. And his religion. Because there are some people who claim that Abraham Lincoln was a member of the Church of Christ. We don't know exactly. Chances are he probably wasn't. But I've been reading this book and something popped into to my head the, the other day as I'm, as I'm reading it or listening to it. And it's this. What's the cause for, you know, Abraham Lincoln was, was one of the most depressed presidents we've ever had in this country. Why was he so depressed? Well, some people would say maybe it's because his country 
was falling apart. Maybe it's because his son, Willie, died at a very young age. Maybe it was because of this or because of that. Look at the cause, the reason why people are sad. Don't look at the symptoms. Look at the cause. Why is he doubting? Why is Asaph doubting? Why did Abraham Lincoln doubt his faith? Abraham Lincoln doubted his faith because his, his mother died at a young age. Dad was a hyper-Calvinist and he didn't like that religion. And so he, he started doubting religion altogether. Why is Asaph doubting? Well, we're not told exactly. Maybe it's because he sees people that are hurting. He's not hurting himself, but he, he portrays himself in that because, because like Moses... Even though Moses had everything he could ever ask for, he's the grandson of Pharaoh, the adopted grandson of Pharaoh. He looks out and he sees the Israelite people being tormented and persecuted and enslaved. And he, he kind of becomes one of them in mindset. Maybe that's why Asaph is having this problem. Maybe it's because Asaph just never really had a firm foundation of his faith to begin with. You know, a lot of people who have these doubts have them because they just never really understood what they were thinking to begin with. Maybe, maybe Asaph is upset because, because something momentary has happened in his life. Have you ever done that? Have you ever momentarily judged the righteousness and goodness of God because of some singularity in your life? that has then kind of overcome your thought process. Someone passes away in your family and you say, why did God have to do this to me? As if God wanted to punish you by taking the life of someone. You see, these, these doubts don't make a lot of sense unless you're in the middle of them. And Asaph is, is judging the goodness of God based on a moment in time, for whatever reason. It's like if you were going to judge the goodness of God by the weather. A few months ago, you would have thought that God was a horrible, terrible person. God, a horrible, terrible deity that, that sends floods across major metropolitan areas, that sends hurricanes across places where they already didn't have anything to begin with, and now they've got a hurricane, they don't have power, they don't have running water, and they're not going to have it for three years to come. If you judge God because of the weather, you're going to come out with some days God is a very loving God. In the spring when it's nice and sunny and warm and flowers are blooming, God is so loving. God is so caring. And then days like today, God is playing tricks with us because it's freezing cold and then it rains and then it doesn't rain and then it rains and then it doesn't rain. You see, Asaph is doing that. He's judging God's character based like you would the weather, on a momentary thing that realistically has nothing to do with the character of God. Because he sees these people hurting. He sees himself hurting in some way. And he doesn't see the overall picture. When we're doubting our faith, a lot of times we need to step back and figure out what actually is happening. Why am I feeling this? Why am I questioning this? But also... What good is there? Because as humans, I don't know why God has made us this way, but as humans, we focus on the negative. So, 
he asks this question, have I done this in innocence? All day long I'm stricken and rebuked every morning. Verse 15, if I had said this, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. I can't tell anyone. The worst thing you can ever do when you're having doubts is not tell anybody. The worst thing you can ever do when you're questioning the goodness of God is keep it in. Because the problem is that the problem is that we will make up our own answers. When I'm when I'm mad, you know what the, who the worst person for me to talk to is? Myself. You know why? That other person is ridiculous. They don't know what they're doing. Lee, you are doing a great job. You know everything. And they apparently don't know anything. And yet Asaph is keeping it inside. He, he looked around and he said, I can't tell anyone this. I can't tell anyone my fears. I can't tell anyone my, my griefs and my doubts. Because, because I'm going to betray a whole generation of God's people. I'm someone that is in a place of prominence. People look to Asaph. I can't tell anyone these things because I'm going to let everyone down. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. He has these problems until he goes to the place where God is worshipped. The word sanctuary means a place that is set apart for the worship of God. I know we don't call this room the sanctuary because in our vernacular, sanctuary means something different. It means somewhere that only God lives. And so if you call a a room a sanctuary today, people start thinking that the the pews are holy and, you know, the the communion plates talk to you and all these other things. But, But in the truest definition of the word, this room is a sanctuary. It is a place set apart for the worship of God. Asaph says, I had a question of whether or not I was ever going to get out of this. I didn't know if I was ever going to find a way out other than just giving up until I went to the place that was set apart for the worship of God. And I looked around and I saw the answer. Verse 18, truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. That sounds very sickening, doesn't it? That God would set them in slippery places. But when he came to the place of worship, he realized, he looked out and he said, you know what? They do look like they have everything. They do look like they have all of, all of their lives together. They have money. They have prominence. They have things. They've got it all together, but they're on a very slippery slope. Because in a moment, all of that can pass away. A few years ago, um, well, they, they, used to, they used to say, you know, you can't take it with you. Y'all ever heard that statement? Well, you can you just do, you know, use your money wisely, but, but don't, don't keep it too close because you can't take it with you. And then I went to a funeral home, and I went into the casket room. And do you know that now we have caskets with drawers that you can put your stuff in? So that you can take it with you. The problem is that we used to think that too a few thousand years ago. In Egypt, we used to think that you could take it with you. And so we'd put all this stuff into the, into the Egyptian mummies' rooms, into the king's burial chambers. We'd put gold and, and fine 
apparel and fine spices and all these things. And then a few thousand years later, some guy from England comes and breaks down the door and takes it and puts it in a museum because it's still there and you're not. You put them on slippery places because in a moment, what seems like pleasure is gone for all of eternity because they don't have any substance to their lives. They don't have any real, tangible hope in their life. They have stuff, but they're set on slippery places because in a moment, it's gone. Like a dream, verse 20. When, you, when one awakes, O oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. It's like a dream. They're sleeping. They're dreaming. They're, they're, they're living this life as, as pleasurably as they possibly can. But it's like a dream because one day they're going to wake up and see that what they were doing was, was worthless. It had no meaning. They couldn't take it with them. It was, it was pointless. You ever had a dream so good that when you woke up, you wanted to go back to sleep and you can't get back to the dream. That's what these people are like. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and arrogant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand like a father does a child, like a, like a, like a mother would her son. You hold my right hand. You make sure that I am safe. That even though it looks good over there, over there is dangerous for me. So you hold my right hand so that I can't get away. <clears throat> Verse 24. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward you receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that, des- that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. See, now he's realized. He went to the sanctuary where the people of God were gathered to worship, and he looked around and he saw, it's not as bad as I thought it was. Do you want to know why Hebrews 10, verse 24 through 26 says what it does? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is. Verse 24, provoking one another. Do you want to know why God set up the church so that we would get together once a week or more often? You know, uh, I, don't, I think some people are often confused at the fact that, that churches, churches don't just meet on Sundays. We meet on Wednesdays and we have other things throughout the week that you can come to and have the same purpose with fellow Christians. Nonetheless, you don't want to know why he set it up like that? Because... At some point, if you haven't gotten to this point, looking out and seeing how good it is out there, you are going to get there. I promise you it will happen. You will have a time where the money isn't as great as it used to be, or the job looks like it may end soon, or something else. And you're going to look out and you're going to say, have I wasted my entire life because... I've been following God, and it looks like out there is just as good as it is in here. Except there, I don't have to set my calendar by Sundays and Wednesdays when I have to get together with the church. You want to know why he set it up like that? Because one day we're going to get there, and we're going to need to do exactly what Asaph did. 
I didn't know if I was ever going to make it out of this, but then I went to the sanctuary where the people of God were gathered to worship, and I saw that it's not as bad as I thought it was. That the things that I was seeing in the world, I was seeing people on a slippery slope, people that that sadly, I believe that if they were connected with the gospel, if they were contacted with the truth, They'd see it and obey it. That's why we have such an important role as Christians to go and to teach other people. But I saw that what they're doing is, is just for a moment. And I was judging God on a momentary hardship and judging their eternity on a momentary pleasure that really wasn't going to take them into eternity at all. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you, verse 23, You hold my right hand. My flesh and my heart, verse 26, may fail. But God is my strength and my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You shall put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. Verse 28, but for me, it is good to be near God. You, I I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. How do we get close to God? James tells us, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Run away from the devil and he'll run away from you. Cleanse your hands and purify your hearts. The same thing that Asaph said. Have I cleansed my hands in innocence? Have I cleared my heart for nothing? No, you haven't cleared your heart for nothing. You haven't washed yourself in in innocence for nothing. It hasn't been worthless. Because you're closer to God now and he's holding your right hand. And even though it looks great over there, he's keeping you from it. Why? Because he knows that you're not going to make it out of that with your faith. You see, it's important for Christians to realize that at times we're going to question our faith. But that's when we need to be closer together more than ever. If you want to become a member of the body of Christ, let me tell you this. You're going to get to this point. If not once, twice, three times, 17 times every day of your life, I don't know. I'm not going to try to say that it's going to be perfect. And you're never going to have these thoughts. You will have these thoughts. You want to know why God recorded these thoughts in Psalm 73 for thousands of years so that we could read it one day? Because we were going to need to hear what Asaph had to say. And we were going to need, more importantly, to hear what Asaph had to say after he was through it. He wouldn't tell anybody while he was going in it, going through it. He should have, but he wouldn't. Because he was scared of letting people down. But, on the other side, he said, I, I figured it out. I went to the sanctuary and I figured it out. If you want to become a Christian, it's going to come at some point, but that's okay. Because if you'll you'll read the words of Asaph in Psalm 73, you will make it through it just like he did. If you want to become a Christian, we're ready to baptize you for the remission of your sins. We We will do everything that we possibly can to help you learn. If you don't know what baptism means, if you don't know what salvation is, let us know. We'd love to help you. 
There are a lot of people out there that think they know what salvation is, and yet all they think it means is that you get to go to heaven. That is 1% of what salvation truly means. But if you're ready to become a Christian, we'll baptize you for the remission of your sins today. If you're a Christian and you're going through what Asaph went through one time, let me say this. Don't keep it into yourself because you will give you the answers that you want to hear every single time. And they will not be the truth. Doesn't matter if it's truth, if it makes us feel good. At least that's what a lot of us think. If you're a Christian and you need help, encouragement, maybe you need to repent of sins publicly, we're going to stand and sing a song of encouragement for you. Let us know if you have either of those needs as we do that. Thank you.